Don't be nervous. <laughs> Nothing bad is going to happen. Sam was sitting by the bedside of his dying father. And his father said, Sam, I can smell that your mother is cooking her wonderful chocolate cake. What a beautiful thing it would be to have a slice. Now I think I can still eat. Go tell your mother I want a piece of the cake. Sam leaves. He comes back in a few minutes. He says, sorry, Dad. Mom said it's for after the funeral. <laughs> I know it's edgy. <laughs> but the reason I tell that joke is because all too often, metaphorically, it's true, which is you hear wonderful things about someone that you didn't know at the funeral or after the funeral. And last week, as a few of you know because you were there, last week I attended a shiva in which I heard the most remarkable story. And as soon as I heard it, I knew that this morning I had to share it with you. And you'll see why. It was the shiva of a woman who died a few days before her 90th birthday, and her name was Susanna Cohen. She was born in Tashen, which is on the Polish-Czech border. And the first thing that may be curious is that almost everybody at the Shiva was from the Iranian community, and yet her, the place where she was born is the same place where Rabbi Dershowitz's maternal grandparents lived. And I thought, there has to be a story here. And there is. We forget sometimes that until the war, Jews lived very good lives. She grew up as a girl taking skiing lessons and French lessons, English lessons, piano lessons, in a very cultured and civilized home with her brother and her parents. But she was born in 1926, and then came 1938, and the Anschluss, the Polish invade, the German invasion of Poland. And they had to flee their home. And they fled first to Warsaw and then to Lwów, but as the Germans conquered more and more of Poland, finally she and her family gathered together in a cattle car in a train and took the three-week journey to Siberia to escape the Germans. In Siberia, her father, who was a businessman, was informed on by the communists, was sent to prison, tortured for a year, and killed. And there she was, with her brother and her mother, stranded in Siberia. But when the Germans and the Russians went to war against each other, her brother heroically joined what was called Anders' Army. It was the Free Poland Army. Many Jews joined it, including, by the way, Menachem Begin. And because he was part of that army, his mother and sister could get passage to go to Eretz Israel to the land of Israel. 
So there they were, these two women alone, having lost their husband and father, with their brother in the army, making their way, they hoped, to Israel. They started to wear men's clothes to protect themselves. She had lost her hair and her mother shaved her head, again, to protect themselves. They had almost nothing to eat. But they couldn't get passage to Israel because Iraq blocked the way and so they found themselves in a refugee camp in Tehran. Told you the story was interesting. <laughs> and there they are with other Jews, two women by now anorexically thin, with no hair, dressed in men's clothes, lost in a strange country with a language they don't understand. Women who had grown up with skiing lessons and French lessons and piano lessons, cultured and cultivated, and now they're bereft and alone. That's when Haji Aziz El Ghanian, a name that may be familiar to you because he was the uncle of Habib El Ghanian, the head of the Iranian community who was executed by Khomeini. Aziz El Ghanian went with his friend Solomon Cohen and he said, let's go to the refugee camp and see how those Jews are doing, our brothers and sisters. And so the two of them went together and on the way, Al Ghanian said to his friend Soleiman, he said, you know, you have a big house. Why don't you take a couple of them in so they don't have to live in the refugee camp? He said, of course, let's do that. At which point they saw these two wastrels, these two waifs, these two bereft women, and they took them home. And Soleiman fed them and clothed them and took care of them, and then he married her. <laughs> and Susanna and Solomon created a family. And that, my friends, is the Pesach story. You see, at the refugee camp, what did Elganian and Cohen see? They saw Jews. They didn't see Polish Jews or Czech Jews or Russian Jews or Iranian Jews. They saw Jews. On Passover, we were all slaves. From disparate backgrounds with different ideas, fearful, we all became one. And that's the Pesach story. It is the story of becoming one. It's the story of Ahabat Yisrael, of love of Israel. I know and you know, I get, can judge this from my inbox, that in our community, all too often, there is much more judgment than love. For Jews who don't agree with us politically, or don't agree with us sociologically, or religiously, Jews who are in a different camp. But you know what? That's not the Pesach story. All of us have been wrong many times in our judgments of other people, in our judgments of political issues, in our judgments of what America or Israel or others should do, but you know where we have never been wrong? We have never been wrong in loving Jews. 
It doesn't mean if you love Jews that you don't love outside the community. But you learn to love at home. That's where you get your first lessons. And that's where we have to begin as a community. I know for some Jews this sounds uncomfortable, but you know, I have never heard anyone say, you know the problem with those Ukrainians? They only love Ukrainians. Or criticize the Palestinians because they care about the Palestinians. Only hear Jews who criticize Jews for caring about Jews. But this is the Pesach story. Before we got to Mount Sinai, we were already a people. Israel, the people, precedes the Torah. The Exodus story is God said to this people, I'm going to send you out into the wilderness, but I want you to know if you don't care for each other, if you don't love each other, you won't make it. You will crumble along the way. What makes the wicked son wicked? You all read about him last night. He says, what are these things, lachem, to you? He excludes himself from the community and therefore is called a rasha. The greatest miracle of Pesach. It's not the splitting sea. Think about this for a minute. If God can create universes, what's the big deal about splitting a sea? That's not the miracle. The miracle is that 3,000 years later, last night, we all told the story. The miracle is not God's supernatural intervention, it's Ahavat Yisrael, it's the love of the history and the story and the stories of our people. It's about how two Jews went to a camp of refugees, of Jews from another part of the world and said, we will take you home. That's the Pesach miracle. It's about how for generations, when Jews would open the door, they would mean it literally. That if there is a Jew in the street who is hungry, who is homeless, who is alone, come in and eat. Yes, we are infuriating and parochial and we can be materialistic and narrow and foolish at all of those things. You know it, I know it, we all know it. But there is a greatness and a grandeur in our history, in our destiny. We are the children of visionaries and prophets, of sages and poets, of dreamers and kings. That's what we celebrated last night. We celebrated the fact that we sat around the table, all of us, as we have for thousands of years, and we remembered who we are. 
We sang the songs that our ancestors sang. We remembered who we are. Once again, we recalled that the divisions in the Jewish people are trivial. Not only in face of a world that is often hostile to every Jew, no matter description, opinion, approach. But more importantly, differences are trivial next to the Jewish neshama, to the Jewish soul that we carry, that draws us to one another, to our spiritual DNA that makes us a people. So this is what I wanted to say to you this morning, and I wanted to say it to you via this remarkable and beautiful story about a family where a Polish Jew was saved by an Iranian Jew, and there, looking out over the Pacific Ocean, has grandchildren and great-grandchildren that are American Jews several of whom went to Sinai Akiba, and it's all one story. What I wanted to say to you is this is Pesach, and you know what they say in poetry, in spring one's fancy turns to love. On Pesach we read Shir Hashirim, the Song of Songs. It's a love story. It's a love story of passion and embrace where divisions fall away and arms and hearts open. It's our story, again and again and again, through Jewish history. We have welcomed each other, east, west, west, east. Every Jewish community at one time or another has fled and every other Jewish community at one time or another has taken them in. That's our collective story. It's the Pesach story. Kol Yisrael arevim zebazet. All of Israel is responsible for one another. So this is what I wanted to say to you on Pesach. God loves us. So should you. God loves us. So should you. Believe me. God knows how difficult we are. How wrong we have been how narrow and petty we can be. It's there in the Torah, it's there through our history, it'll be there tomorrow. But love is greater than difference. Love overwhelms pettiness, love admits no obstacles when it's real. So once again, my six words for Pesach. God loves us. So
so should you. I stood there in Santa Monica, looking out over the ocean, and feeling so grateful for the miraculous existence of the Jewish people, for the fact that we have taken one another in and given each other a place to stay and hope and home and family and future. We have done that for each other. We will continue to do that. So this Pesach and this year, when you are angry or censorious or distant, when there's a group of Jews with some opinion or another that you find absolutely insupportable and infuriating, when someone does something that you don't like, remember what we have done for each other throughout our history. Remember the Pesach message. Once we were slaves, but now we're free. We are free to care for one another. God loves us. That's why we're still here. So should you. Chag Sameach.